Dear God, I thank you for, man, I'm just so grateful for this group. And I have, I have been excited and longed to be back together with them, opening up your word. I'm grateful for the opportunity to gather and study it. Um, here is our heart and our request that as we open up your word right now, Lord, that you would make yourself more clear to us. That we would see you and we would see your gospel for what it is. And that you would change us through that. That, that more than us just um, gathering facts, that your Holy Spirit would be working in our heart as we do these things. And we confess that we depend on you to do that. Um, so we ask you all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Colossians 2, verse 6. We're not going to, when we get into Hebrews, we're going to spend about half an evening breaking down the background and really kind of introducing the book. We don't got time to do that, so let me just give you kind of a handful of details on Colossians. Colossians was written by who? The Apostle Paul. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to this young church in the city of Colossae. Okay? Um, a church that was probably at the most 10 years old at around the time that this is written. First believers in that town, first church in that town, um, maybe as I said 10 years old. We think this is probably written around 62 AD and Paul is writing this from prison. This is actually one of the few churches that Paul writes to, I want to say this, there's at least two that I can think of, maybe more, but there's at least two that Paul writes to that he didn't actually start. And Colossae is one of them. He didn't plant this church like a number of the other ones. Um, instead, Epaphras, who, who I think is probably a disciple of Paul, started this church, was the first one to bring the gospel to this city. It's a young church full of mostly Gentiles, which means it's a people who have never known until now, and they still don't fully know, what it means to be the people of God. As Gentiles, they just 10 years ago discovered the one true God, the one true God of the scriptures, and they had been caught for most of their life in this kind of mess of polytheism, not really knowing much, always considered by the Jewish people, God's people, to be on the outside. And so they don't, they don't really have it all figured out, what it means to be the people of God and what it looks like to live that out. And so the general purpose of Colossians is Paul is writing to help them understand that. The specific purpose, we think, is, is he is fighting against a, a recent heresy or a recent false teaching that has infiltrated the church there in Colossae. And we don't know if that, um, if that teaching is coming from outside the church or if that teaching is rising up from within the church, but we know that Paul writes against it. We don't actually even know specifically what that teaching is. We have some pretty good ideas based on what Paul writes in Colossae, the things he's writing against. We have some pretty good ideas about what it is. It appears to be that um, some kind of hybrid, some kind of blend between this Jewish mysticism with kind of some um, ascetic values, that is um, a, lot of, a lot of denying yourself standard comforts and pleasures and withdrawing from a lot of things and a lot of fasting to kind of prove your extra level of spirituality, kind of a mix of and some adding some extra um, old covenant rules to the mix that they needed to follow and then kind of blending that with what seems to be some local, um, some, some basically local folk religion, okay? Um, some, some spirits or some angels that were really kind of the people were fascinated with in that area and kind of into understanding a lot of, a lot of 
um, what we call mystery cults back then were really fascinated in a deeper knowledge and really understanding God. Okay? So this kind of hybrid seems to be coming into the church at Colossae. And here's the big question that they come and pose to this new church. They come and tell them basically, listen, it's really good that you've become a Christian. It's really good that you've kind of started getting your act together and you've started following this God and wanting to, to kind of go, go after him and obey him, that you believe in him now. But, but, like, don't you want to grow? Like, don't you want to go beyond where you are right now? Don't you want to, like, mature? Don't you want to go deeper and, and have, like, a fuller experience of God, a fuller experience of spiritual things, a greater freedom from sin? And the answer, if somebody asked you, that would be what? Yes. Of course, that's what I want. And so these people say, good, we've got just the thing for you. And that's when they introduce this teaching. Really, if you really want to go to the next level, you're going to have to start giving up this, 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 and this. And if you really want to go to the next level, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to start practicing this, or you're going to have to start believing this, or you're going to have to start interacting with these specific kind of spirits or angels because they can really kind of get you in touch with spiritual things. Let me tell you, we have the fullness of what the spiritual life should all be about. And this is what's introduced to the church, and it appears that they're beginning to buy it. And, and so Paul writes to argue against this very fact. So we're going to read through this. I'm going to have Kelsey, actually, because you're right here close to this. The mic in here, okay? Starting in ver chapter 2, um, and I'm going to have you read verses 6 and 7. Okay, these two verses, what Kelsey just read, verses 6 and 7, um, many commentators argue are kind of, they sum up the message of Colossians. That's right, that's it right there. You just got it. In a nutshell, verses 6 and 7, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to walk in Him, okay? Being rooted in Him, built up, strengthened in the faith, abounding with thanksgiving. This is the summary. But that, star, that, that, that verse there, 6, starts with what word? Therefore, in the ESV, so then you might have in the NIV. But that tells us Paul's building that statement on a previous paragraph that he just wrote. Okay, so let me go back and read that real quick. This is the beginning of two. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for, all, and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Hear this. In order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is what he builds on. Paul says, I am fighting with everything I've got for your growth. I'm praying for you. I'm sending letters to you. I'm sending teaches to you whatever I can do to see you grow and I want you to know here this is what he's fighting for I want you to know Christ he says this in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge now remember what the false teaching was saying hey if you want real knowledge if you want a deeper understanding come to us and Paul writes to say listen you don't get any deeper than Jesus himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, he says, just as you received him as Lord, I want you to continue on in him, rooted and built up in him. Now, now notice this. He says it's just as you received, past tense, 
I want you to continue to walk in him. He says, I want you to live your life in him, present tense. Okay, just as you received past, I want you to live in him, present tense. Then he says, rooted in him, that's actually aorist tense, okay, which is also past, okay. Rooted in him, that is, it was a one-time event that took place and built up in him. That actually is a present tense there, that is a continuing action, okay. So, just as you received him past, walk in him, present just as you were rooted in him past, um, be built up in him present. Catch this. This is the key to this section, okay? And it's going to be really big for next week, but this is key for what Paul is trying to get in here, okay? Growth in the Christian life must always flow from the same source that started your Christian life, okay? Growth in the Christian life must always flow from the same source that started your Christian life. Paul says to the Colossians, it was Jesus that got you to be Christian. It was Jesus. It was the gospel that saved you, that started your Christian life. It was the gospel that made you God's people. And now you're trying to find something other than Jesus, something other than the gospel to grow. You're trying to move on from him and growth in the Christian life will never work separate from the thing that started you in the Christian life. Question for you to consider, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Do we ever do that? We know what saved us, Jesus, the gospel. We know what saved us. Do we ever try to move on into something else when it comes to progressing in our spiritual life? We'll talk more about it next week. Um, I love what he says here at the end, that you will be built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This is what it looks like, he says, when you are actually growing in Christ. When you are growing the way you are supposed to, you are overflowing with thankfulness. Why? Because it's not you. Because it's not that you obeyed this, 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 and all these new regulations that you put in place. It's not that you started worshiping or, or praying to these extra little spirits. It was nothing you did. And so if you're at, if this is a great way of knowing whether the gospel is taking root in you and you are growing in Christ the way you ought to be growing, is, are you a person of gratitude and thankfulness? Is that like overflowing in your life? Because that's a sign of someone who knows that the gospel that Jesus is doing a work in them. Read verse 8, Kelsey. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. All right. Paul uses this strong word, don't let anyone take you captive. What these people are doing, Paul says, is they are kidnapping you they're grabbing you and taking you away and and you think they're telling you this is the door to freedom they're telling you this is the way to something greater but what this actually is is only the path to greater slavery don't be taken captive by hollow philosophy now paul doesn't have any problem with philosophy in general per se he's talking about this specific teaching is what he's going after here don't be taken hostage by that he says by um through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world the word there is stoicheia and people really struggle with how to translate that some some translations say the basic principles of this world the rudiments 
Um, the, the foundational principles, I think the ESV and the NIV get it right when they say the ele elemental spiritual forces of the world. And I think he's referring to this idea of angel worship and, and getting into extra spiritual, what, what, what Paul would probably consider demonic, um, local kind of deities that these people are getting. Don't be enslaved by that, he says. And here's why he says it's so foolish to run after these small little spiritual forces, these small little gods, small g gods. In verse 9, he gives the explanation, Kelsey. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Uh, yeah, and ten, sorry. <laughs> and you have been filled in him who is the head of all in, of all rule and authority. Okay, so he says, don't, don't be enslaved by the elemental spiritual forces. Don't be fascinated with these tiny gods. Don't be fascinated with these little things when you already have Jesus in whom the whole fullness of the deity dwells. Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get bigger than that. None of, these, none of these little gods can compare to that. And he says, and he is set up over all rulers and authorities. Any other spiritual force in the world is underneath him. Now, it is kind of interesting. The word that he uses when he says the fullness of the deity is in Jesus, they're actually two very similar words. And one means divinity and one means deity. Divinity being something like an attribute that a person might be able to hold or like a super spiritual person may be able to have some attributes of the divine, some divine traits and characteristics, um, but, but that's not what Paul uses for Jesus. He says the deity itself. That is something only, only God himself in bodily form gets to have that word ascribed to him. And that's what he says Jesus is. All the fullness of God himself dwells in Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see God. Um, and then he makes this incredible statement, and you have been given fullness in him. Okay, so all the fullness of God is in Jesus, and then Jesus fills you up with him, gives you all the fullness in him. Where, what, like, what do you lack, is what Paul says. Now, there's a phrase that's popped up, a very short phrase that's popped up multiple times in our text already, and it's going to pop up a number of other times as we read through it. I don't know if you've caught it yet or not but maybe you'll see it as we go a little further. Read 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Okay, this is where it seems that some of the Jewish influence is, being, um, is coming into play in this teaching, um, because... He, he, Paul starts talking about circumcision. Um, it appears, this, this is our guess, is that these fall, this false teaching is also calling on them for circumcision. And here's why. Because that was, for the last 2,000 years, okay, for the, for the 2,000 years leading up to this writing, okay, that was the key marker of, a, uh, uh, of one of God's people. That's how you knew you were in Ever since God pulled Abraham aside in Genesis and said, I, I, I want you to follow me and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make a great nation and those people will be mine. And he said, and this is the covenant, circumcision. This is how you know you're mine. This is how you know I'm yours. And so forever that has been the marker. And then you have this weird thing happen when Jesus comes in and his church starts to spread. And that is that non-Jewish people, which would have been uncircumcised people, okay, 
are becoming Christians, are becoming part of God's people. And a lot, a lot of, of the Jews at that time were going, this, this doesn't seem right. This can't be right. Okay? You can't just take the most important marker for the last 2,000 years and toss it to the side like it's nothing. And so a number of people were infiltrating the churches and saying, yes, I, I know you think you're a Christian. I know you think you belong to God, but unless you're circumcised, you're not there yet. And so Paul, and Paul fights against this with every spot he has. But what he says here is you don't need that because you've received a different kind of marker, a different kind of circumcision that sets you apart as his people. It's, a, it's one that was done um, by Jesus to your heart, to your soul, when he separated you and made you his own. And when does he say that this takes place? Okay. Baptism, okay? And here we are, first night, and we're already getting slightly controversial. Um, but I didn't pick, I wasn't even thinking about that when I picked this text. But as I was reading through it, I was like, oh, man. So, but hey, Chelsea's good, everybody. So she's all set, no worries. Um, now, listen, he, I know this, this gets a little heavy, and I know some of you already, as I kind of bring this up, Paul says that this circumcision takes place, okay, and, and that you are buried with Christ when you are baptized and you are raised with Christ when that baptism comes. So the question is, what are you saying, Drew? Are you saying that uh, like baptism is what saves you? And the answer to that is what? No. There's nothing magical or special or spiritual in the water that saves you. So then, so then what are you saying? Are you saying that like though if I'm not baptized that I'm not saved? And the answer is a little less confidence that time. I don't think that that's what I'm saying either. I'm, I'm not saying that, okay? Um, but, but here's, and, and the truth is, actually, if you went and asked Paul that question, so Paul, are you saying that I don't have to be, if, like if I'm not baptized, I'm not, a, I'm not saved, what do you think Paul would say to you? Paul would probably say, what are you talking about? Paul would give you a puzzled look. Paul didn't know any Christians that weren't baptized. And it's not because he was saying, everybody's got to be baptized or you're not in. It's just because that's what, that's what the early church did from everything we know in the practice. There's never any text in the Bible that talks specifically, you must be baptized, or if you're not baptized and you're going to hell. The Bible doesn't address that because it wasn't really an issue that anybody was debating back then. And, and, and listen, what, what, is Paul says, what, what does Paul specifically say saves them in this? Okay, through faith, in, the, in God who raised Jesus from the dead. He doesn't say baptism, saves you. I'm, but, but, but this is truth, okay? I, I'm not ready to say essential, okay? Hear me, I'm not saying if you weren't baptized. I, I do believe that the Bible places a lot of emphasis on that. And that's why I loved getting this, this last Sunday to baptize Chelsea because Chelsea, she explored, started walking through, and she didn't say, man, I gotta cover my bases here. I think if I, this is my last bit of chance of fire insurance. If I can go get dunked, then I know I'm good, okay? That wasn't at all what Chelsea said. Chelsea said, man, as I'm reading through this, I, it just seems like this is what you do, and, and God has been convicting me, and I, I wanna be obedient to that. And a number of you guys have kind of been in that spot, and, and so that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at. That's where it seems like the scriptures are at, is it's, it's a calling on us, um, I believe it is faith and it is grace that saves us. Um, but I believe that is something we're asked towards. Um, let me move on real quick into one of the most beautiful passages you'll find in the book. And I'll read this, Kelsey. This is 13 through 15. 
when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's talking to Gentiles, you weren't circumcised before, you weren't part of the people of God, when you were dead in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. You see the switch there? When you Gentiles were dead, and then what does he say? He forgave us. Is it to say, hey, we Jews were actually, we're not in any better shape. Okay? We still have this sin of the, of the law speaking against us. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. One of the great beautiful ironies of all of history is that when Jesus was raised up and put to shame and public humiliation and apparently defeated, it was in that moment that he put all of the forces of evil to shame and humiliation and defeated them. And that's one of the beautiful things that we get to see in the Word of God. I love that final statement. Let me say this real quick though. Here's the phrase. I don't know if you caught it. That popped up. There's actually two very similar ones that come up over and over again in this. In Him with him. Those two things come up over and over and over again in this passage. Let me read to you what Paul says about it. We walk as Christians in him, Jesus. We're rooted and built up in him. In him, all the fullness of the deity dwells. We have been filled in him. In him, we were circumcised and marked as God's people. We were buried with him through baptism and raised with him through faith. When we were dead in sin, God made us alive with him. God triumphed over all evil forces in him. The point that Paul is making in this, he comes back to this in Jesus, in him, with Jesus, over and over and over again. This is what he's saying. Okay? That everything you are, if you are a Christian, everything you are and everything you're hoping to be and everything you're trying to attain and everything you desire is all found in Jesus. Again, if you ever try to take a step away from Him to find a greater level of spirituality, if you ever try to find a greater level of fulfillment or fullness outside of Jesus, if you ever step anywhere else but Him, you're taking a step down. Everything in our Christian life is found in Him. Let's take a quick break and then Scott will be up to talk to us in just a bit. Matt Chandler. You guys heard of Matt Chandler? Woo! Uh, wow. Uh, let me try this. Jesus. You ever heard of Jesus? Because yeah! if it would have been louder for Matt Chandler, he would have been offended. He would come up here. He would totally come up here. And he would punch people in the throat. That's what he would do. Um, he, was, he told a story recently, uh, actually a little while ago, that I... That I I think it's important, and it, and, it, and it kind of captures a little bit of the purpose of why we're starting with the gospel this, this year. Um, he said, one Sunday morning, uh, they were having a baptism service. He was sitting on the front row, and the first lady walks out into the baptistry, and she begins to tell her story via video or something. Um, come to find out, she was a Wiccan, like, priestess, like witch, basically. Um, she had practiced in that and spent some time in that cult and, um, and, and God had rescued her from that and she came to know who Jesus was and 
was baptizing him. And what do you think happened when she came up out of the baptistry? Eruption. I mean, it was like celebration. That's awesome. That's incredible. The very next guy was this atheist, the guy that had been um, convinced that there was no God and, and, and God had rescued him from, from that. And so he was given his life to Christ and he was baptized and same thing. Eruption. Like, this is awesome. Oh my gosh, this is like, this makes the Christian headlines. We've got a Wiccan, we've got an atheist, and then the next person walks up and was a Baptist, actually. Nothing against Baptist. Um, but he said that that Baptist told his story of growing up in church and 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 kind of at some point realizing he, he finally understood the gospel as an adult. He never really understood it as a kid. He kind of never really heard it from his his terms. And he came to Christ later in life after being growing up in church. He was a just a church going person and at some point heard the gospel and it came to Christ. And, and after that, there was the next several people was kind of the similar story. Raised in church, accepted the gospel later on in life. Raised in church, accepted. And that began to disturb him. Because he thought, well, how is it that someone can be raised in the church and never hear the gospel? Not like know what the gospel is. And, and so it kind of led him on a quest um, to, to be more explicit about it, talk more about it, and, in which he wrote that book, Explicit Gospel, and, and some other things. But that really captures a little bit of this, the heart of why we wanted to start this, this year because I'm convinced that most of you in here, you wouldn't come to this, this tiny house in, in 80, where it's 82 degrees and there's over 100 people crammed in this place to sit for an hour and study the Bible unless you had some sort of value in it. Now, maybe a friend invited you, which is awesome. Maybe you've never been to church um, and, and that you're just kind of checking that out, which is awesome too. I'm glad you're here. But I would, I would say 90-some percent of you have been at church and you value the Bible and, and you, you value these things, and so you're here to, to learn about it. And it is our conviction to, that, that the gospel needs to be preached. In fact, when the gospel is preached in the Bible, it's preached to Christians. Oftentimes we, we see the gospel as being preached only for non-Christians. It, it should be presented at, at like big concerts where you're trying to have a big crowd of people or big or big revivals is, is when the gospel should be presented. But actually, in, in the Bible, the gospel's written to and preached to Christians. And so we need to preach to, our, to, our, to ourselves and to each other. So, here's my hope for today. My hope is that you walk away with a, a, a clear understanding of what the gospel is, of what Jesus did, but, but also why he did it. Uh, because I, that part is huge. So, so I'm going to ask the question, what is the gospel? How would you define it? How, how would you put it in a tweet? Uh, what, now, I recognize that we're taking something that probably could fill every library um, in the world to, to explain who Jesus is, and that, that's, what, that's what actually John says, that it would, it would require all the libraries and all the books in all the world to... to, to capture all that Jesus is. So we're not trying to do that. We're trying to put him in a 140 characters. What would it be? How would you describe it? The gospel is... I was dead in my sins. God loves me so much that he sent Jesus to rescue me, die for me 
rescue me from my sins. Yeah. Okay? Tell you what, we'll jump to into our text, and, and, and there's a couple things I want to point out. So I want to point out two aspects of, of what Jesus has done for us. And Kayla hit one of them for sure. So I'm just going to give you a working definition, okay? Working definition, these two aspects. One would be, Jesus died in our place for our sins, okay? Jesus died in our place for our sins. Where, where do you see that in our text? Where's that idea talked about in this text that Drew just taught? Anybody? Okay, kind of. There's a more specific section. Okay, 13 and 14. Let me read them. And you who were dead in your trespasses, that's exactly what Caleb said, dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all given us all our trespasses. This is the ESV. By canceling the written, sorry, the record the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So he canceled this recorded debt. We have this debt because of our sin. There's this debt that we owe. And Jesus paid that debt. We were dead in our sins. Jesus made us, because of his death, he, he died in our place for our sins, and now we can have life in him. We're alive. And, and he's paid that debt. He paid something that we couldn't pay. We owed something that only he could pay. And he died in our place for our sins. The second aspect is, is this, that he conquered death so that we could have life in him now and forever. Okay? So Jesus died in our place for our sins and he conquered death so that we could have life in him now and forever. Where's that idea found in these verses? Okay, 12. Having been buried with Him in, in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. Romans 5 puts it like this, that essentially because you, because you identified with Him in, his death, in your baptism with His death, you also will be identified with Him in His resurrection. That you, because you accepted um, His death on the cross, you, you also get to accept His resurrection. That you get to live life not only now, but forever with Him. And that is good news. That's actually what gospel means, is good news. That's great news, that, that Jesus died in our place for our sins and conquered death. The two things that stood in between us spending eternity with God, us having life in Him, us having a relationship with God was sin and ultimately death. And Jesus conquered both. That's amazing. Um, so why did we need saved um, if I were to ask the question are we sinners you would say yeah we're sinners but if, if I were to spend some time with you and if I were to ask you questions about so are, are you really 
are you really that bad? Like, are you really that bad? How bad are you? If I asked you the question, if I spent time with you, how bad are you? How would you answer that? I mean, don't, don't answer it out loud. How, how, think about it. How would you answer that? Don't, please don't give me a list of things right now. If you could, actually, it would be a sign of probably spiritual health. But if you can't, it might be a sign of that, that there's, a, there's a little bit of unhealth, an unrealization of your sin in the presence of God. So there is lots of things that we could talk about that in, in terms of sin. How am I a sinner? What, what does that mean to be a sinner? I love in, in Romans 3, or sorry, Romans 1, 18 through 32. You can write that reference down and look these up later. Paul gives three ways that all of us are bad. All of us are sinners. All of us deserve um, punishment, deserve death according to God's way, according to God's law. He says these, these three, the Bible says these three things. The one that we prefer, that we prefer created things over the Creator. So think about it. Have you ever absolutely loved something so much and it stopped there? You never took it further and, and gave God glory for it or thanked God for it. You just, you just took pleasure in it. Um, food. Sex. Uh, money. Power. Status. Um, anything that, that ultimately was created by God for a greater purpose, you just and I just took pleasure in it and enjoyed it and never it never went any further than that. Paul says we we traded, we exchanged the glory of God for the image of his for these images, for these created things. All of us have done that. Here's the second, second way he says, we exchange God's truth for a lie. <laughs> we exchange God's truth for a lie. Another way of saying that is, we think our way is better than his way. Have you ever, have, have you ever done something you know you probably shouldn't do, but uh, I'm just going to do it anyway? You, you, know in a, you know deep down that this is not something God wants you to do, but you did it anyway. You're, you're essentially saying, yeah, my way, I know better, God. My, I'm smarter than you. I mean, no, none of us would say that, but all of us have lived that. Third way is this. He says, we failed to acknowledge God. We, we have failed to acknowledge God. In other words, think of the, think of the, the possessions you have, the gifts you have, um, the, the health you have, uh, the gifts and abilities and passions you have. Think about all the things that have been given to you and you've used for you without acknowledging Him. Um, guilty. All of us. So, so when the Bible says that all of us are, are, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it, this is what it's describing. So, the question could be asked. So if I did those things perfectly, those three things that you mentioned, if I, if I did those things perfectly, then God would have to put me in heaven, right? Yes. So a lot of times it's, it's preached like this. 
okay, God wants you perfect, but none of us are perfect, and you sinned, and so Jesus had to come to remove your sins, so now you're perfect. It's true. But the point isn't that if I, if I wasn't sinful, like if I, didn't, if I did everything right, then I wouldn't have to believe in Jesus. I, I would get to heaven because I earned my way. The Bible doesn't present that idea at all. In fact, the Bible says in, in Isaiah, write this down, Isaiah 64, 6. It says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's disgusting to God. Um, Romans 3, another reference, describes that basically an end to any sort of moral boldness, any sort of confidence I have in my own ability to do the right thing, Romans 3 removes that from us. Um, Philippians 3, 6-9, Paul talks about um, how if anyone can, can boast about being um, perfect or being shameless in the law, it's me, Paul says. I, you know, I was this, I was that. I, I did it right, and yet, he said, all of that is rubbish compared to knowing, knowing Jesus. See, righteousness, our own righteousness apart from what Christ does in us means nothing to God. We need a new righteousness. That's why uh, Romans 3.21 says, but now a righteousness from God is in Christ Jesus. It's a new kind of righteousness. It's not a righteousness we can do on our own. So here's the point. We've all messed up, so all of our, our sins is what's, what stops us. And even our, right, our own self-righteousness holds us back from, from God. And so we needed something. We needed someone to pay um, what we could not pay. And so Jesus died in our place for our sins and conquered death so we can have life in him now and forever. So that's a review of that's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus has done. Here's a question. And, and he, where it's going to go now is probably where some of you are, might get a little uncomfortable. I don't know. Um, where, where I think this is going to hit some of you is t let's talk about why. Like why this happened. Why did Jesus die? Why did he die for us? Um, I believe that many of you have been told that the gospel is ultimately about you. Now, what do I mean by that? That the gospel is about you. How, how maybe have you heard the gospel presented that would, that would lead you to think that the gospel is about me? So, so one way, this is, this is one of them, I think. I think there's a couple. I think this is one of them. Is, is the gospel, Jesus died for me so that I could be a better person. So I could be a, have a better marriage. So I could be a better parent. So that I could be a better friend. So I could have a more successful business. So I could, so I could be better. Okay, that's one way that it focuses on us. What's another way? Yes. Yes. Yes, if you're the only person in all the world, Jesus would have died for you because you're that awesome. You're that important. You're that amazing. 
And, and it's interesting when you read through Acts, which is the, the story of the church being birthed, whenever, he, whenever the gospel is preached, not once is there an example of God saying, of the, of the Bible describing it as God loves you. That's not in the equation. You know what it is? Well, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll say it here in a little bit. But that's, isn't that interesting? That whenever the gospel is preached in Acts, the, it's, it's, the phrase, God loves you, is never in the presentation. It's interesting. What's another way? Where does, where does the gospel get us? Heaven. I get heaven. Fire insurance. Drew mentioned it earlier. The gospel saves me from hell so I can spend eternity in heaven. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? We all want to go to heaven. Who wants to accept the gospel? All of us. Do you see how that can be focused on me? Here's what the Bible seems to present. That the gospel is about Jesus. So Jesus' gospel is about Jesus? Yes. So Jesus died for us for himself? Yes. For his glory? Yes. Like, the gospel is about the glory of God. That God loved us so much, but loved by loving himself, ultimately, that he sent himself. So think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Okay, so wait, Scott. God so loved the world. It says right there. What did God do because he loved the world so much? What did he do? He sent his son. Who is his son? And who is Jesus? God. God loved the world so much that he gave himself. The gospel is about the glory of God. Um, listen to... so. So in, in Acts, when, when the gospel is preached, it's often, here, here it is. Jesus died and, and resurrected, and now he's Lord and King. Submit to him. Give your life to him. That, that's, that was the gospel. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel in Acts. Uh, in Philippians 2, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to him. In, in our text today, um, Paul says, don't be, don't be captivated by these, these philosophies and empty deceit, all this stuff according to human tradition. He says, <clears throat> and not according to Christ. And then he, then he starts, okay, here's what, here's what you've received in Christ. What does he start with 9 and 10? For in him is the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head all rule and authority. Flip over to Colossians 1, verses um, 17 and 19. It says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Early in 16 it says, For by Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Jesus is a big deal. He is preeminent. 
So his death and resurrection conquers sin and death, and it proves and demonstrates that he's Lord and King. So why would we think that the gospel is about us? Why would we think that the gospel is about us getting to heaven by our insurance, or that the gospel is about us making us, making us better people? Um, I have a dog named Rocky, okay? And so some of you have met Rocky, unfortunately. Um, and, and maybe half of you who have met Rocky, he probably peed on your shoes. Because my dog has this problem when people come over, he freaks out. He loses control. And he's not like angry, but he barks like crazy. And then when you go to pet him, he pees all over himself and all over you. And so we have a rule when people come over. Don't pet the dog. Ignore him until he calms down. It's like this thing. We have to go through. It drives me nuts. Like crazy nuts. I, 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 he's growing on me, though. Okay? I, th- and this is big for me to admit. Those of you who've been with me through this journey of Rocky know that he's, that, like, he's growing on me. Because 90% of the time, he's chill. He's great. He'll fetch ball. He'll play when you want to play. And he doesn't chew anything up, and he, and he doesn't pee all over the place except when people come over. And so it's when people come over that he freaks out, and I can't stand it. And, and so I'm, I'm, he's growing on me, and I'm, I'm beginning to enjoy having this dog. He's becoming part of the family, and I don't tell my kids I said that because I never, never admit that. But he is. He's becoming part of the family. But he's our pet. And, and we have him because... It kind of brings something to, we have him to bring enjoyment to us. We thought this would be good for our kids to have some responsibility, to learn how to take care of an animal. It brings enjoyment to us and convenience, actually. See, when I like Rocky, I keep him around. When people come over and he starts barking, I make sure he's outside. And I think when we, I think sometimes when we, when we believe the gospel is focused on us, we treat the gospel, i.e. we treat Jesus like I treat Rocky. He's for my enjoyment and my convenience. And the reality is that Rocky is, sorry, Rocky is not, that Jesus is, <laughs> not Rocky, Jesus is, okay, he's more like a wild lion that if I came in contact, a lion wouldn't be my pet. If I came in contact with him, most likely I would be in the Sahara. Most likely I would be somewhere in the wild. I would be in his domain. He would not be in mine. I would be at his mercy, not the other way around. I would be there playing by his rules so that I don't die. Most likely I would die, but so that I don't die. I would have to submit to his rules and submit to his way because, because I know what lions do. I know who lions are. They're kings of the, of the beasts. They're, they're, they're apex predators. They, they're, there's no one higher than them. And so I would have to submit to his way. And, and, and in, when, we, when we make the gospel about us getting something great like heaven or us getting a better life here, health and wealth, what we're, what we're saying ultimately is that we don't know who Jesus is. Because the only way we would do that is, is if we didn't know how big he is, how big of a deal he is. Um, and how much God cares about his glory. 
that we think a 300 pound lion would be a 12 pound dog. And so, and, and that doesn't make any sense when you know what a 300 pound lion can do. And when you know what a lion is. See, Jesus is the point. He's, he's the point of this book. You, you, you've got 66 books, 39, maybe 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years with one central point, and it's Jesus. It's not us. It never has been us. It's always been Him. He died in our place for our sins so that we could have life in Him now and forever for His glory. Because to bring glory to Jesus is, is glory to God. The glory of Jesus is the glory of God. What would change if you accepted this? What would change in your life if you came to believe this is the case about Jesus? What would change in your life if you <clears throat> surrendered your life fully to Him? I'm going to ask that you spend just a few seconds in prayer. Um, and, and that you would, that, that would be, a, this would be a time for you to talk with God about what that would mean to, to, to surrender your life to Him, to change your mind and change the direction of your life and, and live for Him. That's what He's calling you to do as Lord and King. He deserves your life. He deserves your worship. He deserves your all. Let's pray. Just take a few moments in prayer and I'll, I'll close here in a little bit. Jesus, you are king, and you will stand, and you will judge, and you will be right. And God, you are uh, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. You, you don't change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can trust you. And we can submit our lives to you, God, and our lives can be now yours for you to do what you want in us and through us. We pray that we would live for you as a response to who you are and to what you've done in our lives. That we would not try to earn our favor, your favor. That we would not try to um, just get something out of you, God, but that we would live in response to who you are and what you've done. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.